world beyond the pale No, there is no sacred thing on the side of the veil Under the city I'll be hiding from the drones Creaching my visions on a rusty megaphone Creeping round the tower, spring begins anew Wish that I were far from there and closer now to you Dancing round the fire, tongue begins anew Carrying me far from there and closer now to you Under the city lie the road too long to say You only thought of as you were walking away You say your prayers and play a changing game of chance When surrounded by the desert, why not dance? Creeping round the tower, song begins anew Wish that I were far from there and closer now to you Dancing round the fire, song begins anew Carrying me far from there and closer now to you Under the city lie the road you thought was gone Surprise you find it runs beside the one you're on Under the city, I'll dig out the castle walls Never is there such a thing as too far gone to fall Creeping around the tower, song begins anew Wish that I were far from there and closer now to you Catching round the fire, song begins anew Carrying me far from there and closer now to you
flowers If only tonight we could fall In a deathless spell If only tonight we could slide Into deep black water And breathe And breathe Then an angel would come With burning eyes like stars And bury us deep In her velvet arms And the rain Would cry as our faces slipped away And the rain would cry Don't let it end Don't let it So my name is Chris Thompson, or more formally Christopher Scott Thompson, because that's on a, a number of my books. Um, and I write for Gods and Radicals occasionally, and uh, also have written a fair amount of fiction, a uh, fair amount of material about historical martial arts and poetry um, and uh, ancient pagan religions, uh, magical practices, that kind of thing. So. Uh, in relation to that last topic, people who know that I write about those topics and that I have an interest in those topics uh, will sometimes start talking to me about them and what they'll frequently tell me is that they've never experienced anything like that. They'll, they'll say, you know, so you're interested in magic, you're interested in mysticism and mythical things, you know, I really wish that I had ever seen something like that. And if I had ever seen something like that, I might have some of the same beliefs that you do. But I never have. To me, this world is uh, meaningless. It doesn't have any purpose. It doesn't have any enchantment. I always wished it did. Um, sometimes they'll say that because of the fantasy novels that they love reading, they always wished that the, world, the real world had these things. But their experience in life has been that the real world does not have these things. And they will actually describe that to me very often as being one of the leading causes of their own suffering in life. It's one of the things that makes them feel that life is not as worth living as they wished it was. So what I want to talk about here is a way out of that trap, because I think it is a trap, and a way to directly experience the world as a place of magic and enchantment. And the key to this approach is actually very simple. 
and it's just to take your own dreams seriously. Now, when I say take your own dreams seriously, uh, what that's obviously going to sound like to most people is like some kind of inspirational meme um, about taking your dreams seriously, making your dreams come true or something like that. But that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm not talking about your aspirations. I'm talking about the, the dreams that you actually have while you're sleeping. Now, why would I say to take the dreams that you have while you're sleeping more seriously when to most people it's very obvious that those dreams either don't mean anything or if they mean something, it's psychological, not real magic. The reason I say that is that the lore that's come down to us from the past about people who had actual encounters with the other world. If you read between the lines, there's often a strong implication that this encounter happened while they were sleeping. Uh, the fairy lore of Ireland and Scotland includes a number of accounts where somebody falls asleep on a fairy mound and then has an adventure in the other world. There's a Celtic scholar named Sharon MacLeod who summed up this body of lore by saying, the powers attributed to these hills are evident from tales in which people sleeping on or near fairy mounds are abducted into the hill, have an otherworld encounter, experience a vision, go mad, or acquire otherworld gifts and blessings. Dreams and visions are said to be a consequence of sleeping on or near a fairy hill. And this is on page 43 of her book, Queen of the Night. So, to give you one example of this type of lore, here's a fairy encounter quoted by the folklorist Evans Wentz. He said, I have heard the following incident took place here on the island of, D of Barra about 100 years ago. A young woman, taken ill suddenly, sent a messenger in all haste to the doctor for medicine. On his return, the day being hot and there being five miles to walk, he sat down at the foot of a knoll and fell asleep and was awakened by hearing a song to the following air, ho, 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 he, ho, ho, ill it becomes a messenger on an important message to sleep on the ground in the open air, which is a line that probably sounds better in Gaelic. But the point here is that he, he gets this message from the other world when he falls asleep on a fairy mound. So when you hear these... Uh, you hear about these encounters with the other world in the lore. I'm not saying they always happen when a person is sleeping, but if you read between the lines in the story, there's frequently an implication that they are happening when the person is sleeping. So I think we can conclude that at least some of them, possibly quite a lot of them, happen while the person is sleeping. Now, when I was a teenager, uh, which is when I first started reading and studying about old lore, I was fascinated by the other world. The whole concept of opening a doorway to another world was just incredibly appealing to me. And I took the whole thing very literally. I, I saw it as like a glowing door that would open up in the side of a fairy hill or, I don't know if you'd cast a magic circle, for instance, or in some circumstance, some kind of glowing door would open up and you'd walk through it and literally find yourself on the other side in another world. And I yearned to get a glimpse of this mysterious alternate reality that I read about in the lore, but, you know, I didn't know how, naturally. Later on, as I was studying the lore in depth over time, I started to realize that many of these encounters were happening while the person was asleep, sometimes in a coma, which was described in traditional fairy lore as being away with the fairies, sometimes in some other altered state of consciousness, 
At that time, I started to suspect that the unconscious is the field in which these incidents are happening. The unconscious itself is the she realm or a gateway to the she realm, that being a Gaelic phrase for the traditional fairy realm. And that it might actually be possible to access that realm through dreams or through visions. Now, many people take it for granted that modern science has proven uh, the world meaningless or purposeless. Now, you see these statements from prominent scientists sometimes saying that uh, the world is actually meaningless or that the more, uh, the more we investigate the universe, the more we find no sign of meaning, you know, as if there was any way you could, by measuring uh, anything in reality, that you could see whether or not there was meaning there. Uh, that there's no inherent magic in the world around us. And this is so much taken for granted by many people that science has kind of forbidden us to have meaning. Even though, of course, it doesn't, and there's no way it can, because what it addresses is, um, you know, a different type of knowledge. If you take a closer look at the history of modern science and at the intellectual movement that spawned modern science, you'll find that science never actually set out to prove or to disprove any of these things. And to go into uh, detail on that yourself, I would recommend reading a book called Solomon's Secret Arts by Paul Kleber Monod. And the subtitle of the book is The Occult in the Age of Enlightenment. Now, I'm not recommending this book because I think uh, 18th century and 17th century occultism is necessarily particularly enlightening or fascinating. Um, you know, there's always been people that were exploring uh, these aspects of life in every century, no matter what century, there's people who are exploring these aspects of life. And in terms of pursuing spiritual practice, it's, it's not necessarily the case that this particular time period is the most interesting. But what is interesting about it is that at that time period, a lot of the same people that were the, um, the founders of the modern scientific method were actually very interested in occult practice, uh, Sir Isaac Newton being one of them. Now, one of the things that you'll find out in reading that book is that there never was any kind of organized process uh, to try to apply the scientific method to occult topics and to determine whether or not there was validity to them. Uh, rather, at a certain point, scientists um, began treating it as a starting assumption, as an initial premise, that there was no validity to anything spiritual, and particularly to anything occult or esoteric. They didn't systematically prove there was no validity to it, they just started doing their science from that starting assumption. Now, that's actually pretty useful to them for some of the things that they're doing because a lot of things in science depend on having a worldview called rational materialism. And what I mean is that the, the things they're trying to accomplish, it'd be very difficult to figure out the things they're trying to figure out if you were also wondering at the same time, but what's the symbolic meaning of all this? What spiritual implications does it have? You know, that, that simply has nothing to do with what would be fruitful for them. So rather than even attempting to address these things, they just started from the assumption that these things weren't a factor. Now, enough generations went by, and enough uh, scientists had been operating from the premise that these things weren't a factor, that everybody just more or less assumed that all of these topics had actually been discredited 
and they never had been in any kind of um, systematic uh, evidence-based way. Now, in saying that, I'm not asking you to believe in something that goes against uh, known facts or in something that goes against um, you know, actual evidence. I'm not asking you to believe in the validity of any specific thing. I'm not going to try to tell you, for instance, that if they uh, were to suddenly start rigorously applying the scientific method to this or that specific occult practice, they would find it scientifically validated. On, honestly, I'm not even particularly interested in those questions. My point is just that it's just not true that science has proven that these things inherently have no validity. Magic has no validity, spirituality has no validity, and that there's no meaning in the universe. So you can set aside that barrier to progressing further with this exploration. You can take the weight of that and just move it to the side and say, these things that I'm going to be talking about don't really have anything to do with modern science. Any kind of meaning or purpose that you might find in your dreams is a separate type of knowledge than the type of knowledge, say, a neurobiologist would have about how dreams are formed in the brain. So the next thing I'd like to say on that topic is that we know enough about reality to work reasonably well together as a species, but we have next to no information about what any of it means. Science is extremely effective at finding out what is, but it's not a tool for finding out what it means. So. When you look out at your world, you can assume that it all means something. You can assume that it all means nothing, or you can try to find and try to make meaning of your own. Now, people from uh, some specific mainstream religious background usually take option number one. They assume that it all means something, and they assume a specific set of meanings, which is the set that they were taught and that they grew up in and feel comfortable with. People who embrace rational materialism or skeptical materialism usually take option number two and assume that all of it has no meaning. Now, if you think about it, those are two variations of the same thing. Option number one says, we know what the universe means and it means this. Option number two says, we know that the universe doesn't mean anything. Heretics, visionaries, magicians, pagans typically take option number three. They look for meaning of their own, and they make meaning of their own. So, this is the difference, in my opinion, between being an enchanter and being a person who's under an enchantment. We tend to think of the world around us as being disenchanted. It has no meaning, it has no purpose, magic isn't real. We think of the world as being disenchanted because we've been enchanted to think that way. It's like a reverse version of the fairy lore that talks about glamour. The word glamour originally meant this magic power that the fairy world has so that the things in the fairy world seem beautiful and luxurious when actually they're just things like leaves and mud and twigs. The glamour that we're enchanted by does the opposite. It makes the world seem ugly, meaningless, and dead when it's actually brimming over with magic and enchantment. So by deciding to embrace magic, to embrace the idea that the world around you is filled with magic and has meaning, meaning that you can find for yourself, you become a magician and freeing yourself from the spell keeping you asleep. So 
how do you go about doing this? I'm going to go back to what I was originally talking about now and say that the way that you go about doing this is by paying attention to your dreams. When our ancestors talked about the world as being filled with gods, fairies, spirits, and magic, they were often talking about things that they either saw in their dreams or in other altered mental states. This was such a recognized part of ancient pagan religion that a lot of the temples to the gods had dormitories in them for people who wanted to go to sleep in the temple and receive a dream from the gods. And this practice was called dream incubation. Now, that doesn't mean that every dream in ancient pagan religion was taken equally seriously. Obviously, most dreams are random images, fears and desires from daily life. Most dreams are not messages from the other world. That's why the ancients spoke of the, there being two gates that dreams came through, the gate of ivory and the gate of horn. Dreams that come in through the gate of ivory are false or meaningless. Dreams that come in through the gate of horn are divine and real. Not necessarily literally factual, but divine and real. So when I talk to people who say that they don't have any experience with magic and myth, a lot of times, those same people at one point or another will have told me about a dream they had the night before. And a lot of times, those dreams would sound a lot like myths and a lot like they had elements of magic in them. They just didn't realize that that is what they had experienced because they'd been systematically trained by our culture not to take that type of experience seriously. So what I want to say to you, if you don't think you've experienced myth and magic, and you don't think you've met gods, you don't think you've uh, met fairies, you don't think you've seen the other world, is that in all likelihood you have met gods, angels, ghosts, monsters, at least a few times through your dreams, maybe many times. You just didn't admit to yourself that it had really happened. In the morning when you woke up, you told yourself that it was just a dream, probably an interesting dream, Maybe you told people that you knew about the dream, but you didn't think to yourself, I actually spoke with a god last night. I actually spoke with an otherworld being last night. I actually spoke with uh, a dead person last night. So the easiest and most powerful step that I think anyone can take to re-enchant their world and their experience of their life is just to start taking their own dreams seriously. When you get a dream that comes in through the gate of horn. It will feel different from a regular dream. You've had this sort of dream before. I think everyone has. It will feel in some way more powerful, more intense, more vivid. It won't feel like it was just a dream. So next time, instead of telling yourself it was just a dream, just do the opposite. Take the dream seriously as a real encounter with the other world. Now, I just want to add uh, one mention of the fact that some of the things that you will see in the other world um, might be frightening. Some of the things that you'll see in the other world might be beautiful and transformative. It's a very wide range of things that you can see. In my opinion, you've probably already seen them before, but nevertheless, you should be aware of the fact that if you start being open to these things, you need to be ready to see anything, anything that's out there. And if you're familiar with the uh, with the lore about the other world, anything that's out there can mean a lot of different things. But if you do that, if you're willing to stop telling yourself it was just a dream, the world can come alive for you and see through the glamour 
of our disenchanted society, break free of the enchantment that that has put on you, and instead become an enchanter.